Good morning, everyone. It's really good for me to be back. It's good to see all of you. I couldn't take a look now to see if there's any new people in our service this morning that I have not met before. So just in case there is, my name is Rainer Meyer, and I have the privilege of serving Fellowship City as one of the pastors. I also have the privilege of preaching the word this morning. You guys will see that we are in a new series called A Fellowship City. Today is the second part, and the focus is all on Christ-likeness with the theme, A Fellowship City Nurtures Christ likeness. I'll get back to this in a second. Let me just stop sharing my screen there. Thank you to everyone who faithfully served uh, while we were away on leave. My family and I had the privilege of going to the coast, KwaZulu Natal, nice and warm, shorts and flip-flop weather, just before uh, level four lockdown regulations were reinstated. So we had a really, really good time. I'm so thankful for everyone who could pick it up uh, and who kept on faithfully serving. I loved um, watching the services afterwards and just getting on track uh, with where we are at the moment. We are in a new series and it's got a really simple title. What is this series all about? Let me remind you, Lissachos started us off last week. You and I, if we are part of this church plant and we deem ourselves to be members of this church or to be part of the core of this church, are called and we are sent, right? Called to be part of this church plant and sent to a very specific place with a very specific message. We believe this place is the city of Centurion, and we believe that this message is the gospel message, right? So we have a message that we proclaim through word and deed every single day. The good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus who became a man and came to earth, uh, exactly what we read earlier in our gospel-centered little block, and who eventually brought reconciliation between us and God and us and others. And it's really great news. And that's the message we are carrying. Now, the question is, how should we do this? Or how will we know if we are living out our sentness or if we are living according to our calling? Well, let me say it differently. If I would exit Blue Crane, 273 von Willig Avenue, that's where I am at the moment, that's where we live, and I would see interactions between the people of our church, how would I measure if we have sown seeds of the kingdom in this place? Or if I saw interactions between the people of our church and others, or if I saw interactions between people who are not part of our church, but people who have heard the good news, how will I know, what will I see to know if we have sown seeds of the kingdom. The voiceover invite, which Connie read so beautifully, says, if our, if our city becomes a fellowship city, what would it look like? Right? So if the church would infiltrate or permeate or engage or change the society and the place we live in, how would we know? Now, this series that we are currently in should help us answer that question. And not only answer that question, it should help us to know who we are. It should help us to know how we should live. And it will help us to know what we should do. Right. So who we are, how we should live and what we should do as a new church plant. In an area where there are a significant number of new church plants, and a significant number of established churches, we need to be very clear on this, guys. So if you are part of this church, we need to be clear on this. And if anyone else would ask us about this, about our church, we should be very clear on it, because this is what we think is our unique contribution 
at this time. This is what we will bring and add to the variety of churches in our area. Okay, so last week, Lesekho started the series by saying that a fellowship city nurtures grace. Fellowship city nurtures grace. So, if you think about the question in our invite, if our city becomes a fellowship city, Lesekho made the point uh, last week that we would see grace, that we would experience grace, that we would hear grace, that we would show grace through our lives. We have a message of grace. We are a people of grace. And therefore, we are givers of grace. It is indeed amazing grace. I had to make a little hymn joke there. So today, the theme is a fellowship city nurtures Christ-likeness. Which means, in the same way as last week, if our city becomes a fellowship city, we would see people formed into the image of Christ. We would be like Christ. We would experience people like Christ. We would hear people speak like Christ. We would show people through our lives what and who Christ is and what he's like. So a fellowship city nurtures Christ-likeness. I only have two points for you today, and I just want to put it down here for you, for those of us who are note-takers. So really easy. How do we become like Christ? That's the first part of the sermon. And secondly, why should we nurture Christ-likeness? How do we become like Christ? And why should we nurture Christ-likeness? I've got no idea why the numbering is so weird. But we do have a first and a second point. Not a first point and the second equal to the first. You guys see what I did there? My little Matthew 22 joke. So these are two points. Let's get going on the first one. The passage that Tandiwe read is indeed a very dense passage, okay? And it all funnels down to a very important verse about how believers are transformed, and that is verse 18. We are transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus. Beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus. Now, the key word is glory in this whole passage you would have seen it 10 times in verses 7 to 12 and you also would have seen it twice only in verse 18 which is our focus text now when i preached on psalm 3 in our prayed like jesus series i mentioned glory in a nutshell right that glory is about presence it's about weight it's about significance it is about legacy so in biblical terms, if you would say someone has glory, you would say they have all these things. A significant, weighty presence that leaves a legacy. Now Paul says that the new covenant, this new agreement that God made with his people, this new promise that God made with his people, has more glory than the old promise that he made with his people in the Old Testament. So what we see in this portion of scripture is Paul reaches back to Exodus 34. It's a story about when Moses met with God. And he says that was a glorious encounter, right? There was something of God's presence and his weight felt by Moses. And now Paul says in the same way that um, Moses felt this presence, we feel it even more. The new covenant glory surpasses the old covenant glory. 
So we live in the time of the new covenant. Okay, guys, I'm just setting the table here. No need for you to remember every word and every point. I'm just laying out the context. The age we are in now, in 2021, is the age of the new covenant, right? The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus Christ. The events of Easter has taken, have taken place. It's his death and his resurrection. He ascended to heaven and his spirit has been poured out over everyone who believes. Now, here's the point that Paul's making. He says that going from the old covenant to the new covenant is like going from a horse and cart to a Ferrari, right? I had to choose Ferrari instead of Lamborghini so that you can hear my nice and rough Afrikaans are, you know. It's like going from a horse and cart to a Ferrari. I wanted to use the example of it's like going from dial-up internet to fiber internet, but that's actually just an upgrade. Horse and cart to Ferrari is like going from something old to something brand new. And that's what Paul says. He says God is doing a new thing among his people. And then he lays out all of these new things that is part that are part of the new covenant in verses 7 to 11 he makes a whole uh, a series of lesser to greater arguments you saw that in tandiwe's reading if this then that and then in verses 12 to 17 he continues with this contrast between the two veils the veil over Moses' face and also the veil over human hearts and then he concludes with the statement about the miracle of having the veil lifted from us and beholding the Lord. Now, if I had enough time, I literally would have expounded every verse, but I can't. I am going to give you just some key points so that when you read the scripture again or think through it again, then you at least have some handles on it because it is quite a difficult passage. So let me just race through seven blessings of the new covenant as Paul lists them in this portion of scripture. And our focus is only going to be on number seven, which is transformation. But look what he says. He says there's new life that comes with a new covenant. Oh, there's old sermon there. We receive righteousness. We become the righteousness of God through the righteousness of Jesus that is imputed to us. The new covenant is permanent, right? It's in the words of Outcast in the song Miss Jackson, forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. And then he says, because it's forever, it, it brings us hope or gives us hope. And because it gives us hope, it gives us a new heart. Because we receive a new heart, we experience freedom. And all of a sudden, the chorus that metal started off with is back in my head. And then he says, the seventh blessing of this new covenant is transformation. And our whole focus of the sermon will be on that today. Remember the first question that I posed to us is, how do we become like Christ? And the answer sits in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Okay, I am going to go get back to verse 18. And I am going to get back to all these words that I marked red. Let me just stop sharing for a second here. Okay, so Paul's remarkable conclusion is really important for us to understand how people are transformed. And here's what he says. Let me give it to you in layman's terms. Beholding leads to becoming. Beholding leads to becoming. We become like that which we adore or which we admire. You guys know this. If we would speak on a micro or individual level, you pick up the habits and the mannerisms 
uh, of people you admire. When we were down at the coast now one evening, Ava, she's our oldest daughter, she came uh, up to me and she said, Dad, are we going to bride tonight? And then I said, yeah. And then she said the following words, get a little fire going, flip flops, that whole vibe, you know. She's six years old. She's six, she is six years old, guys. And she speaks like that. Who else speaks like that? Well, I do. And because of her looking at me, admiring me and beholding me, she became like me. Now, obviously, like any proud dad, I, you know, fell over and I almost got a, a acuteness attack. But that's something she picked up from living with me, looking at me wanting to be like me. It's marvelous to still have that kind of admiration from your kids when they are so small. I do realize that that will change once they become teenagers. But in the same way that she looked at me, we become who we look at, right? I remember as a small boy, I used to play rugby. And what you would do is you would study second by second the pre-kick routine of the professionals. If that guy sticks his tongue out, you would stick your tongue out. If that guy rubs his nose before he kicks, you would rub your nose. If that guy gives the grass a little kick before he lays it up, then you would do the same. Why? Because you want to be like him. Now, here's the truth, and this is a biblical truth. There is no more admirable person in the universe to admire and adore than Jesus Christ. And that is the truth. Okay. So how do we become Christ-like? I think there's a few popular ideas in our current context that speaks into how do we change. But I do think that they are not helpful and that they will not help us to be transformed into the image of Christ. People would say stuff like you change through time and through experiences, which is true on the one end, because change does take time and experiences can be good. But time and experience wouldn't necessarily lead to you becoming more like Christ. I do believe that you can be a Christian and that you can be spiritually immature your whole life, which isn't what we were destined to do, which isn't who we are called to be. If we just look at the Bible, someone like King Solomon, he definitely didn't get better with his age. He actually showed no progress in his growth and he actually strayed from God's word and from his law. We live in a world full of self-help books, right? And self-help books will tell you, think positively. Now, even though thinking positively might be really helpful for us, a self-help plan is devoid of God because it starts with you helping yourself in mind. And you and I would know, if you've been a believer for longer than five days, we need God's help in this process of transformation. We can't just think it and then become it. We need something else. We need a help from the outside. We live in a world full of moralism. We live in a world that will tell you, just stop it. Just improve now, just work harder. And you and I know that if we try and do that by ourselves, we will never show the progress that we dream of, right? Even Paul says in Romans 7 that the law is powerless to change us. He says, I want to do something, but then I don't do it. And the stuff I don't want to do is the stuff I'm ending up to do. This is really a sad situation that I'm finding myself in. And many other world religions are built around moralism, right? Living in a certain way according to a certain law, to get a certain reward or to get a certain um, uh, 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 provision, right, from the God you serve. Christianity doesn't work that way. Christianity works in a different way. And Paul says it works like this. You behold the beauty of Christ, 
and then you are changed by the Spirit. We are not transformed by behavioral steps. We are transformed by looking at someone, right? Not at a history, not at a story about someone, an actual, real person who you can be in relationship with called Jesus Christ. You and I need to remember this. Think of the small stuff in life. Being parents for all the parents in the house. Thinking about your own journey as a disciple of Jesus. Whatever it is that we want to be better in or more Christ-like in, we need to remember that it's not going to come by step one to five. It's going to come by beholding him and becoming like him. And what I want you to see in this portion of scripture is that Paul uses the word all, which doesn't only mean the leaders or the clergy or like the special forces of Christians in the church. This is something that is meant for all Christians. Every single believer in Jesus Christ should face Jesus, should know him face to face and should be transformed by this experience. Okay, now let's take the verse and let's take the words marked in red. I'm just going to say a couple of things about it and then we'll get on to the second point, uh, which is why should we nurture Christ-likeness? Okay, so let's look at this portion of scripture. I already said something about the word all. Let me say something about beholding the glory of the Lord. This is not just understanding things about Jesus. It's about adoration of Jesus. It's about seeing him, knowing him, savoring this experience. It's not just a casual observance. Think of everyone who's influencing the internet at this moment. Think of all the videos we see on the internet and on social media of people doing covers of other people's art or people who do um, imitations of other people on whatever social platform it is. The way that you do that or the way that people do those things is they look deeply and intently at every single second of the artist. They want to hit the keys exactly like the artist does. They want to go up into the high registers of their voice exactly like the artist does. They even want to finish the song exactly like the artist does. it, And that counts for all other imitations and covers we see. So the biggest need for us in our lives is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, to get a real, real, real deep experience of it, not only understanding of it, but an experience of it. Now, here's the cool thing about how this happens. Are being transformed. You see that verb there? That verb is in a passive tense. It is a present tense, so it's happening now, but it's Passive, which means that it is being done to you. Isn't that just marvelous? You're not doing it to yourself. Someone is doing it to you. Something is doing it to you. And that is God through his Holy Spirit. Do you see that last word there, the last red one? Who is spirit? So it's being done to us. We gaze and we are being transformed. The question is, is this something that you want? And that's really important for us. Because to have something done to you, you have to commit to the process, right? You have to submit to the process. You have to allow this thing or this person to do it to you. Now, 
What are we being transformed into? Look at the word image, which is the next red one. Image harkens back all the way to the book Genesis, which says that we were created in God's image. God is a relational God, and therefore he created us with the ability to be in relationship with one another. We were created in his image. And even though all human beings are created in his image, not all human beings are formed into the image of Christ. Right? Christians are being formed into the image of Christ through the Spirit. But as we are formed into the image of Christ, we are formed back into the image in which we were created, which is the image of God himself. Look at the red word glory. I already said something about it. This isn't a transformation for the sake of transformation. This also isn't just transformation for the sake of being transformed back into the image in which we were created. This is a transformation back into the image for what we were created for so that we could move from one degree of glory to another, which means that we can have a, a more weighty and a more significant presence, that our lives could have a bigger impact in the places we live and move and work and play, etc. It's so that we can become more weighty, so that God's presence can be felt, so that people can experience him, so that people can believe in him, so that people can change accordingly. This is so important for us, guys. And what I like about from one degree of glory to another is Paul speaks into this process of continuous transformation. And I want to say this to you as an edifying word. I know that we have good days and that we have bad days. I know some days we feel, man, absolutely nailed it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for empowering me through your spirit. And other days we feel, my word, what a stinker of a day. I was absolutely terrible. I lost my temper and I did a whole bunch of sin. I don't even know how to make a comeback from this. Here's what I want you to be encouraged by. It happens from one degree to another. It is a continuous process. It's about being more Christ-like today than you were yesterday and the day before and the day before. And then being more Christ-like tomorrow than I was today. It's really, really small steps. And that's something that we have to track. It's something that the Spirit does inside of us. Just a sidebar here, people would often say, how can you tell me that Jesus is real? Prove that he's resurrected. I actually think as a Christian, one of the best ways to answer that question is to say, well, look at the way that my life changed. I was this person 16 years ago. I'm definitely not that person today. And that wasn't by my own doing. That wasn't by myself making choices to say that I'm going to change my life now. This is something that God has profoundly done in me. And he has done it to me through his spirit. He's real. Because if he didn't do it, then there's no way that I could have been who I am today. We look at Christ by the Spirit. And when we do, he changes us. And then we are transformed. So there's the answer to your question. How do we become like Christ? All the red words in verse 18. Okay, let's move on to the second point. Why should we nurture Christ-likeness? Let me just stop sharing here. Well, guys, if you think about it, as we gaze upon Jesus, eating with sinners, eating with people on the margins, eating with people who were scoundrels in his community, we definitely become more loving. 
And who doesn't want to become more loving, right? As we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, right? We become more compassionate. That's why we should nurture being like Christ. Because we want to be loving people. We want to be compassionate people. As we see Jesus, or as we gaze upon Jesus, preaching boldly, right, to the religious elite of his days, and speaking truth to power, I think you and I become more bold. We become more zealous for the gospel. That's why we should nurture being like Christ. That's why we should gaze upon him. As we gaze upon Jesus loving children, we become more tender, more gentle, right? This phenomenal man, this God-man, doing all these miracles, being so wise, saying to his disciples, dude, don't keep anyone away from me. Let the kids come. Let me bless them. Let me put my hands on them. Let me love them. Tender and gentle Jesus. So as we gaze upon him, we will become like that. And we should nurture it because we want to be people like that. Can you imagine? If part of our testimony in this area would be that we are tender and gentle and kind and loving and compassionate people. Small in our families and in our relationships. A little bit bigger in our workplace. Very big every time we put our feet somewhere in this part of town or in this part of the city. Think about Jesus for a second. Suffering, right? Without reviling people in return, right? People spitting at him, people mocking him, people beating him, people sticking a crown of thorns in his head, and he does nothing back. When we gaze upon that, then we learn how to endure hardship. We learn how to endure persecution. We learn how to deal with this feeling that because we believe someone is out to get me. We want to be people who can endure hardship and persecution. As we gaze upon Jesus forgiving sinners, right? And saying on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We become more forgiving. Forgiving people are Christ-like people. And Christ-like people are people being formed by the Spirit to look like Christ. But how does this happen? We look at this Jesus. We see him forgiving the actual people who's hurting him and beating him. As we gaze upon Jesus and how he gave up everything for our salvation, think about it. We become more generous. It's just how it is. He gave it all. Everything he had, even before time, all his status and his position as part of the Godhead, he left all of that behind, he emptied himself, says Philippians 2, and he emptied himself of himself so that we could be shown love, so that we could be saved, so that we could be reconciled to him. He didn't give a hundred bucks. He didn't even give a thousand bucks. He didn't give a hundred thousand bucks. He gave his own life. So when we gaze upon that, we become more generous. Then the Spirit shapes us to be more like him. Can you imagine? If Fellowship City become known, becomes known for generosity and for forgiving people, can you imagine if people would say, the people in that church are people of grace, 
They're people of love. They're people of generosity. As we see Jesus rise from the dead, you and I become more firm in our faith. I mean, whenever faith buckles or whenever our faith is under pressure, we look at that moment where God did the impossible, and that is to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And because he lives, we can live. Because he lives, we can stand firm in our faith. It happened, and he's still alive today. And therefore, we can stand on it. I think one of the uh, verses we uh, we sang earlier was my anchor to the ground. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground. As we gaze on the mercy of Jesus, as he restores Peter, right? We become more merciful to other people. I mean, how many stories have you heard of people backstabbing other people, right? Or people mistreating other people. Or people say that I was hurt in a relationship. Or I thought that person had my back. And then we look at Jesus who was denied three times by Peter. And when Peter sees him, he runs to him. And Jesus goes, dude, let's have some fish. Let's chow. You restored. Hugging him, kissing him, saying, feed my sheep. Isn't it just phenomenal to look at that? We will become a more merciful people when we look at that characteristic of Jesus. Think of uh, Revelation, the last book in the Bible, chapter 1. John sees this amazing picture of Jesus, right? He has this white hair that says that he has all the knowledge in the world. He has eyes like fire, which means he can see everywhere. There's nothing hidden to him. He's got feet made of bronze, which means that he's unshakable, right? When we gaze upon that Jesus, we definitely become more pure, right? His tongue is like a two-edged sword, right? His eyes burn everything clean. So when we gaze upon this Jesus, that is what happens to us. And lastly, as we see Jesus reigning in eschatological glory, that means we see him reigning from now until forever. We see him seated at the right hand of the Father, the one who has the title Almighty, the Lord of Lords, the one who reigns over everything. As we see that, we become more hopeful, guys, because it doesn't matter what we experience now. He, in the end, will bring the judgment. He reigns now and he will reign forever. Regardless Regardless of what we are currently experiencing. Now that's the reason to have hope. That's why it's important that we nurture Christ-likeness in our church and in our lives. A fellowship city nurtures Christ-likeness with all these attributes that I just mentioned. I hope that you can at least remember one or two of them because there's a question coming in our breakout rooms exactly about the characteristics of Jesus. So guys, as we meditate on the person and work of Christ, let's land the plane. I want you to know that this is going to feel anti the culture, or it's going to feel counterintuitive. It's going to feel upside down. Why? Because we live in a culture that has an achievement and an accomplishment culture, right? In our culture, we have something called a meritocracy, right? You get what you get based on your merit, based on your value, based on your worth, based on your achievements, based on what you earned, right? This is a notion that we've taken from the business world into the church world, which I don't think is good. Because none of us in the church, part of God's family, got there based on our merit, right? We got you. 
by grace. We live in a world where people don't value character anymore, right? But that people value workplace traits like grit and productivity and self-discipline. It's not the way it should be in the church. That's not what we honor. That's not what we adore. That's not what we point ourselves to, right? The church is a family of people gazing at Christ, filled by his spirit, being transformed back into the image that we were made in from glory to glory by the spirit himself. As a church, this would mean that we redefine success, right? You are not a successful person if you achieve what you wanted to achieve. Or you're not a successful Christian if you achieved what you wanted to achieve. We won't be a successful church if we grow by numbers and we have more and more people in our worship services. You will be successful as a Christian and we will be successful as a church if we are formed into the image of Christ. And if we nurture being like him. What does that ask of us? What should we then do? Well, we should turn to Christ. We should be converted. And we should be holding. And as we be holding, we will be transformed more and more like him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are doing this great work in us. Thank you that it's not about our skill or our grit, our character traits or our personalities, but that it's by your spirit and gazing uh, on your life, beholding you, that this transformation happens. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We want to be transformed into your image. We want to allow you to do a work in us that will make us more loving, more compassionate, more empathetic towards people, more generous, more merciful, more forgiving, more bold, more firm, more hopeful, more pure. All the things that we see in your life, we want to become. So do this great work in us through your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord Jesus, to experience the freedom that this passage talks about while we live this life. And help us as a church and as individuals to nurture Christ-likeness to nurture this value of being like you. I pray that we would encourage one another, that we would celebrate Christ-likeness, that we would nurture Christ-likeness, that we wouldn't fall in the trap of uh, holding our people in esteem according to merit and earnings and um, their own achievements. But that we would continuously call each other back to this thing that you've called us to. May we make a great impact in the place where we live and work and play. May people see you through our lives. We pray that in your name, Lord Jesus.